Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stansel and Merce Tariq. All right, everyone. Welcome to our podcast show. And this is a special one. This is our very first wind down. Now, if you think about that word, it is a play on words. We came up with this idea that, you know, once a month, instead of doing an interview with a person, an individual, we would do what we call a wind down, which means we all right now, everybody on the show has a glass of wine. And Morgan's going to tell us a little bit about that wine here in a second, but let me just tell you who is on the show today. The idea behind this is that we want to hear multiple folks talk to us about maybe some of the shows that we've had in the past that we've already interviewed people. We also want to talk about anything that anybody wants to talk about within the show. So here's who we have. We have uh, Lauren Stancil, my wife, is on the show. And then we have Renee Hillman. Now, Renee had a show with us where she did all things real estate. Real estate when it comes to converting over and from a retirement phase of life. And that was a great interview. So if you've not heard that one, make sure you go back and look for Renee Hillman's interview. That was fantastic. And then we have a very special guest. She is uh, Debbie Neal. Debbie Neal has been a client now for many years, but she uh, has a, a very, very, in my opinion, interesting work history. We'll get maybe ask her a little bit about what she did in the past, but now she's retired and she's actually here on the show from her beach house. So She's in that phase, so she's going to give us a very nice perspective. And then you've got Merce and Morgan, as well as myself, on the show this week. So we hope we're going to have a nice little roundtable discussion. We're going to talk a little bit about the shows that we've already listened to, and we'll just kind of see where this conversation goes. And we hope that there's some benefit here to maybe get different perspectives. But first and foremost, we need to turn this over now to Morgan so that everybody knows in the context of our wind down what we're all drinking, and then maybe we can talk about how we think what it tastes like. Yep. This week, we've selected a Pinot Noir from Chalk Hill. And Chalk Hill is located on the edge of the Russian River Valley in the Sonoma region of California. So that's what we're tasting this week. Let me just tell you this, by the way, why we have a Pinot Noir. There is one reason and one reason only, and that's called Debbie Neal. Debbie said, because we were going to do a Cabernet, and Debbie, and Debbie said, hey, you know what? I like Pinot Noir. And we're like, well, well, let's do that because we want to make sure that Debbie's happy. So Debbie, what do you think of this one? I like it very much. Good. Yeah. It was a great selection. It's also Merce's favorite. And Renee is also a fan of Pinot Noir. So it was a great. Oh, good. So that's, yeah. yeah. Really, that was Yeah, that. definitely in our, in our household, we typically keep Pinot in the house. Um, at our wedding, Mayomi Pinot Noir was our one of the reds of choice for the wedding. So I always love a Pinot. What about you, Renee? You like the Pinot? I love Pinots, especially yeah. from the West Coast. That's my favorite. All right. So if anybody right now, if you're listening and you said, oh, what was that wine or whatever, feel free to reach out to us and we'll get you all the information because this is a good. So if you like a Pinot Noir, it's from Sonoma Coast. It's a pretty good taste here. So let's kind of get into our information and let's talk a little bit about maybe what the thoughts are on the shows that we had this month. The first show that we had that was an interview was by Chess Griffin. And Chess talked about, he's an estate planning attorney. 
He talked about all kinds of things around wills, trust, powers of attorney, healthcare powers of attorney. Let me just ask this. Were there anything that you heard that you went, oh man, I didn't know that or a question or something that you might think about on that area? Anything anyone had? I was going to say, you know, it amazes me how intricate all of those pieces are, which thank goodness there's people that actually specialize in that. But one thing, you know, I think so many of us hear about trusts and the fact that he, I think, even mentioned that, you know, the trust laws have changed in the last couple of years. So that was an aha moment for me that said, hmm, I might need to go revisit that again. You know, in my own personal situation, I said this on that interview, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in families that make you have to think through an estate plan a little bit different. For example, the way Debbie and her husband, John, would deal with an estate plan is going to be different than the way I would deal with an estate plan. I still have minor children. Renee, I know you do. Morgan does. Merce does. So we have to kind of think through things a little bit different. Now, Debbie and her situation, how many grandkids do you have right now, Debbie? Three and one on the way. Three and one on the way. Congratulations. Well played. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So see, Debbie, her thought process around an estate plan is going to be way different than ours when it comes to that. So, I mean, did you have anything, Debbie, at all that you got out of that show that you thought interesting, question-like? Well, it made me feel real good. John and I had made wills when our children were born, and we've updated them from time to time, but they were real old. And about 18 months ago, we updated our will and had gone through, fortunately, all these steps that we heard Chess say. One thing that I had to consider was I needed a will for my private practice. Being a psychologist in private practice, I had to have a will stating who would take care of my patient records if something happened to me, you know, in terms of power of attorney or if I died. And because I have to keep records for seven years, I still need that even though I've retired. Wow. And so I felt real good that we'd gone through all the steps made me wonder, Raiden, if we should let you know who might have power of attorney just to be in our records. I would say 100% yes. And might make it a little easier. Yeah. And Merce, you want to talk about that a little bit about why we would need that as far as financial advisors go? Yeah. So, you know, we always invite clients, anyone associated with us, if they want us to hold on to any documents like a power of attorney, it's always good for us to have that on file. Because let me give you an example. Let's say, you know, someone comes into our office says, hey, I'm the power of attorney for so-and-so and I need to make a transaction on one of their accounts because they're not able to for whatever reason. Well, we actually have to be able to see that actual document. So, you know, the more information that we have up front, the better because we can't do anything unless it's the actual owner of the account or the power of attorney that's able to act on that person's behalf. So it makes things a whole lot cleaner, I'm sure, Debbie, for your practice as well to have that. So we would absolutely love to have that just as a reference, as a backup for whatever reason. And I don't know if you know this or not, Debbie, but we actually have, and I'm going to say this because I know John knows it, we actually have, in all essence, a secure online portal that we can hold those documents and everything. And John has that all set up, uh, meaning he uses that. Now, whether or not he will put that document in there or not, I don't know about if that's been done yet or not, but he can do that. And then we both have access to it. It's stored for you. It's stored for us. You can actually tell us in there instructions that if, in fact, you wanted to be able to at some point have 
it be available to your children, that they could have access to those documents so they could see them and understand what your plan is. So that would be really, really important. Well, what we chose to do was to give a copy to our kids of that POA. That's very good. Yeah. So sometimes people are not comfortable actually giving their kids that document or giving kids the information. So that's good if you can do it, though. If you're comfortable with it, that's absolutely good. One thing I've learned through this is one of our neighbors that's aging didn't have any family in town. And they wanted me to be their power of attorney for health and finances. They don't have any children. And that made me very nervous. I thought, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of relatives coming out of the woodworks if something happens. And I had the, I took them, they needed to update their papers. They're both in very poor health. And I took them to the same attorney that had done our wills the year before and made it very clear that I did not want to be the power of attorney. But with today's health records, that there's a separate form that he completed, wrote up, saying that I could get the release of their medical records. So I can talk to their doctors, I can take them to doctors, I can, and they've given me permission to go into their, my chart. And then I contact her sister who lives in Maine so that she doesn't have to be on the ground. Very nice. But it's a separate form. People may want to consider that for a family member. You know, they may not want someone to be able to control things, but they may want them to have information. And it's just one step higher than giving permission at the doctor's office. I just didn't want there to be any question. Yep. That's really good. Yeah. So I think to sum up, Renee, you made a comment about how documents and the trust in particular, the changes that have come up in the past couple of years. So I think, and Chess would agree, estate planning attorneys can only work within what is available at the time. And so the IRS, the government, they have the ability to make changes as they see fit. And so all we can do as, you know, as people that are not part of the government or whatever, all we can do is adapt. And so, you know, sometimes changes or amendments have to happen to wills, amendments have to happen to trusts and everything like that. So the big part here is staying informed. And I think, I think Chess did a really good job keeping us informed of what the current deal is with a lot of that. I have a question along that lines. You know, if you have a you know, client that's working with you guys, how often do you advise people to seek out an estate attorney similar to Chess or Chess in that matter to do those updates? I mean, how frequently are you telling people to revisit those type of things? I mean, I've always heard like on life events, but I almost think that it needs to be more frequent potentially than that. Yeah, I think that this to review from a perspective of making sure that there's nothing changed from a tax, I mean, from an estate planning law perspective, I think every five to 10 years. And I say that because if, if there's nothing major changed in your life, you probably don't need to do it within the five-year range. But let's say you've got now children that are becoming adults or anything that's changed like that. Those are the things where you want to get it taken care of. By the way, if you're listening to this and say you're in Debbie's situation of grandkids and instead of children, the other thing, and I think we might've said this on that show, but another very important thing is having the power of attorney. What Debbie said is, is when kids go to college, because they're, even though they're over 18, if they're, if they're over 18, you can't get into that doctor's office. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind as well. Now, the other thing is, is especially if you've got younger children or your children have children, making sure that they have a plan in place if something were to happen to them as to who would actually be the caretakers for the children after the fact. Once we started dealing with COVID and realized the seriousness of it, as that was what March, April, our kids' birthdays are in June. And John and I talked about it and said, okay, what are we going to give our kids for birthday present? 
and I told them each that we were giving them a will. Oh. I gave them the contact of the attorney and what all they needed because they now have kids. And they told me that they didn't have wills yet. And, you know, let's just go ahead and be narcissistic. I was not going to deal with not having access to my grandkids. I didn't know who would get them. Something happened to both of them. And so um, that's all in process now, getting all that information together and then them thinking through who's going to take care of our kids. Yeah. Who's going to have power of attorney? Now, of course, our daughter said, oh, you, mom. And I said, yeah, no, I'm older. So basically what you were doing, Debbie, is making sure you don't get the kids full time. That's like, you know, That's part of it, yeah, so like, I, wanted, I wanted access to them whenever I wanted them like I do now. So, so like Morgan's kids are my nephews. But I was like, you know, do we have it clearly laid out that somebody else get the kids if something happens to Morgan and Michael? So well, Katie, Katie and Drew chose someone who's not a family member and I know them. But I sure am going to be developing a closer relationship with them. Right. <laughs> That's very similar to what I was thinking about when I was listening to the podcast for this week, or for the first week, sorry. I was thinking about, you know, yes, it's geared toward retirees, but what of this information do they need to make sure trickles down to their children or their grandchildren? I was, oh boy, I had to be like 19 years old, and my parents were going on a trip. And we were just giving them a hard time about their will. It's like, you bet you don't even have a will. And, and it said, divide everything equally between my two children, Lauren Marie and Evan Andrew. And we started cracking up because for the last, let's see, if I was 19, he was 12. I had a 12-year-old third brother. He never made his way into the will. And so we would like, you know, harass him pretty heavily that he was getting nothing. And so then my parents, some point down the road, maybe another five, 10 years, they rewrote it. And they said a third to each. So now we literally have a running family joke about who gets the extra 1% because it's like 33. <laughs> so who gets that 1%? And so like, it's literally become a family joke because I think it was like a legal zoom or, or something like that. Like they didn't actually go to someone that would kind of think that through and they figured, you know, good enough, whatever. But I was listening to it and I was struck by you know, this is not just something that people who are in retirement need to know. This is people who have any assets, any children, anything of value, which is most of us need to, to be on top of this topic. Yeah. Obviously that was a very interesting topic, but let's just talk a little bit about real estate here because that was our next show with, uh, and Renee was our interview on that. And that was a great episode. I do have a question though, and I'm putting you on the spot here, Debbie. But now Debbie, you just went through not too long ago doing this whole idea of saying, I'm going to go out and we're going to get this second place at the beach and all that kind of stuff. I mean, did you, how, did, how did you know what my question is? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was just curious, like what's your thoughts on that whole thing and your experience of what you dealt with on that? Because I mean, that's common. I mean, we got a lot of clients who want to go get a condo or a place at the beach. Well, the reason that John hired you is because I'm not a numbers person and I don't think things through carefully. I go on feelings. So Renee, my question to you today is, what should I have thought through and researched before I went to Raiden and said, cash out this money in order for me to buy a condo at the beach? I didn't think, you know, and listening to your podcast and all the things about downsizing, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I did nothing to consider our portfolio when I said that I need a check because I'm going to the beach. 
I think what we probably learned through all of these podcasts is it's great to have experts in your corner in all aspects. I wish you could go out and hire one person to help with all of this, but you know what I've realized, you know, having a business that you need multiple people to to help you through these things, but you know what, Debbie, in every couple, I think there's that yin and yang, right? The one person that is the reasonable sounding board that definitely probably (laughs) has more of the finance acumen in the family. And then you do have the other person a lot of times, and we see it time and time again, that really is that emotional, you probably made a decision in five minutes walking through the home that this was the home that you wanted. And, um, you know, I think it's great. You know, I don't think everyone kind of chooses their path as they're picking real estate. And I don't know that anyone really needs to do anything different. I think it just comes down to making sure you have the right, you know, people in your corner. So, Raiden, were you just intimidated with my demand? Or did you know enough about my portfolio to know it would be okay to not stop me? Well, let me just say this, Debbie. There's one thing that you're not, and that is intimidating. So, you're very easy to work with. So no, we actually, you know, when you ask us, I'm going to defer here for a second. Yeah. Whenever you ask that question, I'm going to ask Merce, what did we do, Merce, to make sure whether or not we could give a good recommendation on that or not? I was going to say that question should have gone to me because I remember sitting in that meeting with Debbie and John and going through the numbers. And I remember John's facial expressions. I remember <laughs> Debbie's. They're both very different. Um, but ultimately, our job, Brayden and I, was to talk about the numbers. And so we ran through all those numbers with you and John pretty detailed to say, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And ultimately, Raiden and I were very comfortable in saying that, yeah, you can do this. And I think John was maybe looking for a different answer. (laughs) At the end of the day, the numbers, which is our job, it worked out perfectly. And I think you're happy with that. I'm sure John is too, even though he may or may not admit it. He does. He does admit it. Yeah. I mean, you know, he looks pretty happy hanging out at the beach. You know, ultimately that's what we do. We're not about the emotional part of this. So whether it's ever anything, when it comes to buying a second home or selling a home or whatever it might be, Merce and I, I think, stay pretty much out of the emotional part of it. And we're into the numbers part of it. That's our issue. That's our thing. Although I do remember, I think you said something about getting heated floors or something like that. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know, Debbie, that's a little expensive. (laughs) You forget. We just remodeled the kitchen and the bathrooms. And I did get those. Oh, you did. Oh, good for you. Good for you. That's funny. And then I guess... It was within a year is when I said, okay, now I want to contact too. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like those heated floors, by the way? Are they worth it? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> is it heated in just the bathroom? Yes. Oh, Where else do you need I, don't I don't know. Kitchen. I mean, you don't walk out in a, on a cold kitchen no. floor. Okay, good. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the real estate? I, I was thinking about, speaking of emotions, the emotion of having to get rid of your stuff. I think that's probably one of the biggest things because, again, just going back to the only real experience I have, my parents, they're in their late 60s. They have... Easy. (laughs) said easy. There's other people in their late 60s. No, no, it's it's okay that they're at that age. I'm just saying that they have gone through the process of downsizing. Sometimes I still get carded, so I have to, like, reference that I have parents that are of a certain age. So it's the ring light. It removes any sort of anything going on. (laughs) Anyway, my parents have three times probably downsized and two of the three they didn't really downsize they just took all their stuff and put it into the garage so they still hung on to everything like we would joke they had two bedrooms in one of the last homes they had 
And the second bedroom was like, they had dressers stacked on top of each other because they were good quality dressers and they didn't want to get rid of them. And, you know, just like things like that. So I'm sure, and I know you mentioned on the podcast that you you have places and, and groups to work with to help people kind of remove that. But I would honestly think that's probably one of the biggest barriers to downsizing is, is getting rid of your things. If you have emotional attachments to them or, or you're sentimental or, you know, someone in your family doesn't want something and, and you assess a value to it. And I agree with you. I mean, sometimes I feel like a lot of what we do is kind of coaching people through that because it can be difficult to, you know, get rid of, like you said, that solid wood dresser that no one else cares about now because it's traditional Queen Anne or whatever. But you know, we definitely made an effort to align ourselves with some great nonprofits in the area. And I do think that does help people a little bit knowing that it, it's going to a family in need or, you know, someone that has been homeless and now has a dresser, right, that they can use. So we've, you know, I think that kind of helps lessen it a little bit. But regardless, it's, I think, yeah, I agree. I think the downsizing move is one of the most difficult ones sometimes for people. I mean, you have one extreme, the people that are very emotionally attached to all those things and and even the house and the space. And then you have the other extreme where people are just like, I'm done with all this. Just, I'm going to get a dumpster. I'm pitching it all. I'm starting from scratch. So it's funny because we will get the extremes on both sides of that. To your point though, earlier about having experts in their field, you know, if it were me and I were going to sell my house, I'd have all these things we would do. But having an expert to say, actually a simple coat of paint would probably do you good and you could sell it just fine the way it is. I, I really appreciated that point about consulting an expert before you make any major decisions because you may be completely wrong. Yeah. And we, I mean, literally last week saved one of our clients probably close to about six to $7,000 on some, some things they were intending to do. And we were like, whoa, stop. Let's rewind. Here are the couple of things that you need to do and we're good. And they're like, really? I'm like, yes. So don't worry about all the other stuff. Because like I tell everyone, you live in your home every day. So you recognize all the little kind of quirks and all the things that you don't like about it, but a buyer walking through for 15 minutes isn't going to, you know, fully immerse themselves in living in a house at that point. Since I do things unconventionally, when each of our children purchased a home and they made the mistake of telling me who their movers were, Mm. I called up the mover, I knew the date, and I asked the mover to come by our house and pick up things before going to their apartments I love that. (laughs) Then I told the kids and I said, look, I'm going to pay for the mover and this is the trade-off. And they, but I don't want that stuff. One, I said, it's easier for you to take it to Goodwill than for me to. And number two, (laughs) this is the funniest thing. I love going to their homes and there are these things that they vowed they wouldn't keep. (laughs) that they're still using. I said, you know, it's a piece of furniture that you can use until you recoup from closing costs. And, you know, then you can get rid of it. It's funny that you said that, Debbie, because I remember when I bought my first home, all of a sudden my mom shows up with her little CRV at the time and just starts unloading stuff in that house. And I'm like, what are you doing, mom? She's like, well, this is all your stuff. I'm just bringing it over to you. I said, okay. So a couple of days later, she goes, well, what did you do with all the things? And I said, well, I picked out a couple of things and the rest is in the trash can. <laughs> Next thing I know, I see my mom pulling back up probably like 45 minutes later, getting everything back out and loading it back in her car and going back home with it. And I mean, this was multiple moves ago for my parents. So the funny thing is I asked my mom, I was like, what have you done with all this stuff? She's like, I still have it. One day you're going to want it. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm not mom, but okay. <laughs> so, I'm saving it for you. Yeah. So we just had our in-laws in town for the past few weeks. They drove across the country from California. So they live in San Diego. They came here to come visit the baby. They didn't want to hop on a plane. So they drove, which is pretty amazing. And they stayed with us for a little bit. And part of their time, they were actually looking in the area because they're thinking about relocating out here. Ultimately, I think they've decided to do that, but they've been in their house in San Diego for probably the past, I don't know, at least 30 years, maybe even longer. And so you can imagine the amount of stuff that they have amassed in that house. And they're talking about, well, you know, maybe it's six months out, maybe it's a year out because we got to figure out what to do with all this stuff. And then her mom makes the joke of, well, if you start seeing all these packages showing up at your house, because I know that Taylor, my wife, she had quite the collection of Beanie Babies back in the day. <laughs> she had quite the collection of other things. So, and, you know, parents hold on to that stuff. And at some point they either got to trash it or give it to who owns it, right? So it's just funny that we're talking about this now. I had this whole conversation with my in-laws last week. I have about 50 Beanie Babies, if you Uh (laughs) (laughs) will. I think I have a Rubbermaid container of those too. We're going to move on to our next topic. But before we do, I want to clarify one thing because anybody listening to this who's a client or friend or anybody like that, they know that I'm 48. And now that Lauren said that she uh, gets (laughs) carded, they're going to think, oh my God, did did Brayden go marry like somebody who's like 21? She's about to turn 40. And when she says that on the air like this, I have to correct it. I did not go marry like a 21-year-old. <laughs> well, it's true. We've been out to dinner and I've gotten carded. and they- Which I'm happy of. I just don't want people to think I'm that guy that went out and married a 21-year-old. Okay, I, I respect that. Well, I get mad when the waiter thinks that you did when I'm sitting there. Yeah. Like, hey, you're out with your grandpa. That's so nice. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, This is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. All right. So our last week, our interview was all about the economy. And we had an economist, Andrew Updike. He went through a lot of things. And, and, you know, Merce and I, you know, our objective in that was to kind of hit some issues because here's what I know people are concerned about right now. I know they are concerned, very concerned. What's going to happen with coronavirus? Are we going to have another surge? How is that going to affect the stock market? How is that going to affect the economy? They are very concerned as to what the election is going to do. Now, I'm going to say that in the context that no matter what happens with the election, whoever gets elected, how is that going to affect the economy? And I think in his conversation, he kind of handled that a lot of in a very balanced approach. He didn't try to say what should happen. He just said, hey, what if this happens? And then how is that going to affect it? Let me ask you this, or anybody who wants to say anything, I mean, as far as when you think about what's going on right now, what makes you nervous about the economy? Or, or what did you hear maybe that Andrew talked about that made you kind of go, okay, that made me feel better or worse or whatever it might be? I had two key takeaways from it. I think one, I liked how he said, hey, and you guys said this too, we follow the math, not emotions. And I think, you know, those of us that are on the outside, not in, you know, the numbers, so to speak, every day, like you guys are, you know, you know that that's your hard-earned money, you know, and 
probably go through freak out moments when you see the stock market tank and then go back up and, you know, all of these kind of things. So I liked how he said that. I also I think the other big takeaway and something that I think is looming for a lot of this, you know, yes, they have pumped a lot of money into the economy. What does that mean long term? I think he did a great job explaining some pretty intricate finance things. Yeah, I think so, too. I like the part where he was talking about is there a connect between the economy and the performance of the stock market right now? Because quite frankly, that's something that I would say as an uneducated, just, you know, sideline observer, because you see and you feel a lot of people losing their job, a lot of businesses closing, but yet stock market is completely rebounded. But I don't feel the economy has. So I'm like, where, where why is that occurring? And it makes sense what he said. You know, the stock market is based primarily on the large companies that have stocks that trade on it, you know, and those companies are who we are tending to spend our money with right now because they have the supply chain, they have the resources, they have the ability to get things to you. So where you might have gone to a local boutique fitness center, you know, now you have to order things on Amazon to get delivered to your home. Or, you know, you might have gone to a local restaurant. Well, guess what? Now Walmart's delivering your groceries to your home or, you know, or something like that just because of of our shift in, in buying. So I, I thought that was a really nice explanation that kind of helped me understand the whys of what's going on with that. Yeah. Hey, Debbie, let me ask you this. And again, not about you necessarily personally, but obviously your friends and people that you talk with, what would you say their concerns are right now? People that are retired or close to retirement and the folks that you're talking to, what, what kind of concerns do you find as you're con- having conversations? Well, the conversations that I have with people tend to be more about relationships than with, about dollar bills. And, you know, I'll go back just a minute and say, you know, I've always believed, my dad taught me this, you can't look at the stock market day to day to day. You have to look at it over time. And I know that's one of the things you've said, Rayden. You and MERS both when we've had meetings. In terms of finances and emotional health, is I know that you have a good diversified portfolio for us. You know, I'm more of a risk taker than John, and, and you've managed that in how you've um, invested our retirement funds. And I expect you <laughs> to be watching it daily or weekly. So that I don't have to, so that I don't have to worry about it day to day because I feel confident that you're going to call me and let me know if there's something that I need to look at. You know, I'll say that when talking with people, it's more about, you know, when can I get out and see people? When can I do things? When can I travel? You know, those are the concerns that I hear. Yeah. And, and then there is a sense of isolation. And so I do try to call, particularly those that are older than late 60s, Lauren. In your late 60s, I'm just, my best buddy's 86. (laughs) You know, so just trying to check in with these folks. But again, I mean, I would just say everybody needs to have someone like Mers and Morgan. I think Morgan probably keeps y'all straight as well. Oh, 100%. Probably the most important. Well, good. Well, we appreciate that. We've, we've had, I think, had a really nice discussion. We don't want to continue to go, you know, we're not trying to go through a complete recap, but I had a couple of little ending questions that I'd like for us, to, and we're not going to be able to have a long discussion here, but I thought one of my questions that I just thought we could just share, because I think this just helps us all think it through a little bit. But if you think about what you've learned, I mean, we hear all the negative things, you know, obviously what you just said. I mean, there's isolation, all that kind of stuff, but I try to look at all experiences and try to say, what can we learn from this that we think is going to be positive? So could we have a, a couple of comments on what you've learned from the COVID experience and what you think 
that you're going to take away from this experience and it's just going to be a part of the way you do things in the future? Is there anything you've learned that you say, this is going to be probably something that we find is a very positive experience out of the program, out of what happened, not the program? I would say that my husband being a homebody, a lot of times we would turn down invites to go places and to do things just because we have small children. It's just easier to be at home. I will say after this experience, I will never turn down another <laughs> invite. I don't care what it is, I'll go do it because <laughs> now we've been shut in and we don't have the decision to, to go out and do the things. And, and when I do, I know that I'm going to pick up more invitations for sure. Yeah, I think to, to Morgan's comment on that, I think what we've realized is that bench of friends, it doesn't need to be far and wide. It can be a short bench, but, you know, to really spend the time with those people and those relationships, um, I think has become a lot more important than having a ton of friends and acquaintances all over the place. So for us, I think it's being very conscious with how we use our time. I mean, we're all in a busy season of our life. And so, you know, it is very easy to just be like, eh, we don't have time to do that. You know, okay, well, we'll do that. And so I think it's being selective with how you use your free time. I think um, mine's a little opposite of what Morgan's is. I, I've always been a super social person. Kind of feel like I've got to have something, you know, somebody coming over or something to happen almost all, every weekend and, you know, go do this. And, and I've got teenage kids and they always wanted somebody over or to go somewhere. And what we've learned is, is that we actually, you know, get along pretty good if, if we're not doing that much. Now, I don't want to be at where we are right now where you do nothing, but it has made me kind of go, I'm, you know, I, I'm good staying at home tonight and, and chilling at the house a little bit and doing stuff around the house and not feeling like I got to have a hundred people over or that I got to be somewhere all the time. You know, I'm looking forward to going back and socializing, but I don't feel like I need to do it at the capacity I was doing it before. So I kind of feel good about that part. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we, we made like impromptu card nights with the kids and I, I have a blast doing that. And I feel like we sit around and we get to know each other a lot better. I would say that something that I've learned is that we were too busy before. We were filling our schedules probably in a competitive way, you know, like look at all the things I'm doing. What are you doing? You know? So I think once you strip a lot of that away, when you're forced to strip a lot of that away, it lets you prioritize the things that you would like to do. So I know that one thing that, you know, it's, it's kind of a silly thing, but I try to now exercise every day. And that has been a habit that has helped me tremendously because I do have a couple of like autoimmune issues. And when I went to my doctor last time, she's like, what are you doing? You are, you know, your blood work is the best it's ever been. Part of it's probably that we're a little calmer right now, but we think it's somewhat related to that as well. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have taken the time for that necessarily before, but now I've learned this is actually a legit thing. I, it's, it's important. I need to prioritize it. I have the time to do so. So I'm going to try to keep that habit up after all this is over. Yeah, for me, I would say I have a pretty unique scenario in the sense that I have a true COVID baby. Jay was born on March 23rd of this year. So in the heat of all of it, you know, I was the only one that was allowed in the room for delivery. Whereas, you know, I would hope that would be the situation no matter what, but no visitors allowed, anything like that. And then so for us, for Taylor and I, with COVID and the shutdown and everything like that, it really gave us, I think, a very unique opportunity to spend way more time with Jay and not worrying so much about you know, the day-to-day -day of getting to work and the hustle and bustle, even though I had a very nice maternity package with the company, uh, <laughs> all of one week of no disruptions, which is okay. You know, everything that Brayden and I do, we work pretty well together. And so we were able to manage that, but I got some really good one-on-one -on -one time with the baby in the first couple months. 
And uh, I think that is really shown through in, in the way that he's developed and everything like that. And I will also piggyback on Raiden's thing is, you know, Taylor and I, before the baby, incredibly social people and mainly me, I'm always, you know, filling up the calendar with social events and whatever. I, I just don't like staying at home. Well, now, and maybe it's because of the baby or maybe it's because, because of COVID, but now I'm completely okay to say, oh, we only have one thing to do this week. You know, and maybe is that too much? Are we putting too much on our plate for having one thing going on this week? So coronavirus, it has been very tough to work through, but I think there are some good positives that are coming out of it as well. What about you, Debbie? What's your thoughts? You're our resident psychologist and wise person here. So what's your thoughts? Instead of being wise, I'll just tell you what's happened in our life. <laughs> I like that better. You know, John and I have been married almost 40 years and we've never, ever spent this much time together. Oh, wow. I mean, if you think about how busy your lives are, but John and I both being retired, we are in the house 100% of the time. Yeah. And so I'm pleased to announce that we <laughs> We have created our bubble of people that we feel comfortable with. Fortunately, our kids have been able to work at home until recently, and only one has had to go back on site to date. Yet we still were cautious because they were going out to the grocery store and some different things that we are not doing. And then may recall John plays pickleball. Fortunately, God saved our marriage by having me learn to play pickleball a year ago. And John has, early on, he had no one else to play with. And, you know, he had to cancel some tournaments in March and April. Okay, so now he's playing with someone who's been playing three or three months. Yeah, I was going to say, by the way, on that point, Debbie, have you gotten good enough to beat him yet? Or are you get some good points by him. <laughs> it's not about the end score. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but we have found two or three couples that we feel comfortable playing with. You know, John and I'll use one color of pickleball, and they'll use another color, so we're not touching each other's balls. Um, <laughs> and, and do that. And so we're getting some socialization that way, we're getting exercise. John always gets his 10,000 steps in. I don't necessarily. But, you know, we walk Lake Pond and then play pickleball. And we're staying active and trying to stay healthy. And so we are getting activity and socialization. Very good. Well, hey, I just want to say thank you very much for you guys coming on and being a part of our very first wind down. So we appreciate it. So thank you very much, Lauren. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Merce. We appreciate all of us being able to just sit around and have this discussion. I think it's, it's I think it's beneficial because, yeah, yeah, and as well as we've got a nice <laughs> glass of wine. So, <laughs> but thank you so much. We appreciate it. And we hope this has been a beneficial episode for all those that are listening. So have a great day. Thank you so much for all of you being able to be here. All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network 
so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.